So the topic that I have for you today is why nice girls don't get the corner office. I was doing my last internship at International Paper and a female coworker gave me this book as a graduation gift. It was 101 Unconscious Mistakes Women Make That Sabotage Their Careers. Of course, the header, the primary header was Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office by Lois P. Frankel. And I said, okay, this should be a pretty interesting read. And not only did I realize in reading this book that I was doing some of these behaviors that she mentioned, because again, unconscious mistakes, you do it because you're not aware. These are things that you've learned, they've been ingrained in you. But I try to make a checklist of how I could pivot from some of those things that I'm doing to solidify my place in the in the workforce. So I thought I would take a chance just to share some of these things with you. So sit back. Thank you for joining us here at The Corporate Genius as we discuss this interesting topic today. So there's a section of the book that talks about how to play the game. This, I would say, was an eye-opener for me because the first thing it says Pretending as if your workplace is not a game. It is all a game. You're either playing the game, sitting on the sidelines, but the game is taking place. So get it together. Um, The other thing that the book talks about is doing work for others. You don't get a gold star for finishing someone's projects. They're not necessarily going to remember you because you did the work for them. No, weirdo, they're going to take the credit, get promoted, and you're going to be sitting there with egg on your face. So definitely don't do the work for others. Another topic that they talk about, which I have to, you know, do that proverbial hand slap to me because I fall into this mode, is working without a break. You can't work nonstop. It's People get the impression that you're always overwhelmed, you're always so busy, you can't take a break for lunch. That may hinder you, actually, for getting up other opportunities. Think about it. You may be viewing it as, they're going to see I'm so dedicated to the job, I'm burning those hours, man. I'm coming in early, I'm getting it done, I'm staying late, but instead... They're seeing it as, wow, I gave her this task, and they may not even realize how complicated the task is. I gave her this task. She's so overwhelmed, she can't stop to eat. Or she's so overwhelmed, she doesn't have a work-life balance. And that's going to probably prohibit the organization to Uh, give you more. So the other thing which I would say is that key takeaway from this first section is waiting to be given what you want. I am always amazed at the people, co-workers, friends, whomever, who don't have the conversations with their boss about this is what I'd like to do in my future, where do you see me going, It's just regular meetings about the day, and they're waiting 
or their boss to think of them about an opportunity. Newsflash, if you don't tell people what you want, they're not going to know it. Uh, I like the phrase, closed mouths don't get fed. If you want something, open your mouth and say it. That's simple. The next chapter of the book or key section really focused on how you act in the workplace. And again, I think a lot of women struggle with either needing to be liked or needing not uh, needing not to be liked. So there, there is that balance. You need to be you. You don't want to be uh, a pleaser because people will walk all over you and not respect you and probably treat you like crap. But you don't want to be this hard as bulldozer, like, ah, I'm above you, I don't need you. You just need to be you. And if you find that you're going above and beyond to be a pleaser in your work life, it's probably taking place in your personal life and vice versa. The other one that they talked about, which again, I know that I struggle with, is this whole not asking questions for fear of sounding stupid. And I think as women, we all struggle with this when we, you know, go to a new organization, step into a new job where we're feeling uncomfortable. We want to be that silent person in the room because our fear sets in and we start to assume maybe everyone's smarter than us. If I ask this question, people will say I'm stupid and then that will hinder me and then forever and ever and ever and ever and ever I'll be the girl or the woman who said the stupid question. You got to get over that. I'm not going to say there's no such thing as a stupid question because that would be a lie. Um, But if you honestly don't know, you need to know whether you ask it in that form, you ask it where you step, you know, step to the side or pull someone to the side. You're going to find that nine times out of 10, when you start asking questions, people will have the same confusion that you do, but they were just afraid to raise their hand or, or ask. Another key topic about how to act in the workplace, and I see this all the time, and, and sometimes I really, really scratch my head on this, is sharing too much personal information. You know, I worked with someone once where she immediately mentioned at a lunch table with, with other people, and this was, this was a couple of months into her starting the job, about how bad her home life had been and and the relationship that she had with her mom and her dad and needing to live with her grandparents. And though this pulled on my heartstrings, I was a little taken aback that she had the comfort level to, A, say this in mixed company. And it's not really about a man or woman thing, but none of the people that she was sharing this information with, she would be able to call friends. We're all coworkers. We're all getting to know you. And it it was one of those situations where we felt mm, uncomfortable. What do you say to something 
like that who shares that childhood trauma with you while, you know, you're talking about random, benign lunch lunch conversations. Uh, you're a little caught off guard and you're not quite sure how to take that. So you go, whoa, and uh, that's definitely a key call out to women. I, I, I get it. We had great weekends. We've got friends. We've got families, husbands, kids. Maybe your baby took her first walk or she said her first word. But there's some stuff that it, you just don't share because then people look at you and say, okay, you're, you're, you're just you know, talking a little, a little too much about that. And when you're oversharing, you're kind of giving people the opportunity to put you in a box as to where they think that you should be. So the book moves on from how you act to how you think, right? So it's, you know, this whole transformational process, um, really taking a look at, again, it's 101 unconscious mistakes that, that women make in the workplace. So how you act is one thing, but how you think is really uh, dependent upon how you act. They, they, they go together. So again, you do it sometimes without realizing it. A couple of key things that I would say in there is limiting your possibilities, putting work ahead of your personal life, letting people waste your time, and prematurely abandoning your career goals. Now, these are going to have both work implications and personal implications. So, Limiting your possibilities. When you go to work and you decide um, that you can only be what has been prescribed for you without really saying, what else can I do? Then in essence, you have put yourself in that proverbial box that I know everyone else hates when you say, think outside the box. What is the box? Where is the box? Have you seen the box? Who can move the box? You put yourself in the box when you develop the confines of where you should be. You keep yourself in the box when you put work ahead of your personal life. I was telling someone this the other day, and I've read it somewhere. You've you've seen it a couple of places, and it's, it's really key, I think, more so in the States than in other parts of the world where you have protectionism where it comes to jobs. You, if you don't have work-life balance, if you put work ahead of your personal life, if you decide that it's about solely climbing that corporate ladder, getting your degrees, a couple of key things are going to happen. One, your degrees won't keep you warm at night. I promise you. I promise you. Let me say that again. Your degrees won't keep you warm at night. Though your student loan payments will haunt you like the nightmare crypt keeper Freddy Krueger Jason hiding in the closet to go boo, it won't keep you warm at night. When you look at your life passing you by because you were dedicated to work, you're not going to get that back. I have 
family members where, and, and this happens to a lot of people, when your personal life starts to suck, for lack of better words, you, you, you put yourself sometimes as a woman 100% in work. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be early. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm a superstar. I've got a gold star. I'm an A+. Plus, I'm a rock star. And you give work everything. And then what you start to do without realizing it, you've now put work ahead of your personal life. So while your coworkers are going home to spouses, kids, pets, great friends, trips, dinners, community service, volunteerism, social activism, you're in your office, your cubicle, your two monitors if, if your company is a little plush, and your keyboard, and you're going home to an empty life. And when you don't have that type of balance in your life, it affects you overall. And then I conclude that by saying, your job will be posted and filled by the time, if you die, if you were to die today or tomorrow, your job would be posted and filled by the time your funeral service happens. So think about that. You've you know, decided to forego the work-life balance. You're not taking breaks. You're working through the clock. Your personal life is stagnant because work is all you have. If something were to happen to you, yes, people would be sad. We're not in a world of, you know, savage beast. People would be sad, but the work would still have to get done. Your job would be posted. So understanding that you're putting your work ahead of your personal life and the repercussions of that is a hundred hundred percent key. The next section of the book that I really think speaks to women. So she focuses on a section on how you think, there's a section on how you act, and then there's a whole host of topics on how you sound. And what's interesting about this is in one of my previous jobs, I had asked my boss for feedback because of course you need feedback to grow, learn, become better. And the only thing that someone could say about me was, well, sometimes when I'm talking to her, her voice gets a little too high pitch. I thought, what the hell? What do you mean my voice gets too high pitch? I talk like a normal person. Where is this coming from? You can't think of anything else to say to me? Well, again, had I, you know, refreshed this book, which is always a good thing for women, I I, I 100% recommend this book. She has a whole section on speaking at a higher than normal pitch. And it's interesting because it says that sometimes a woman's voice can revert to sounding like a little a little girl and I didn't realize it at the time it's still debatable if that's what I was doing but I know that naturally my voice can go really 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 high and I have the ability to make my voice sound really 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 low so I know that I have a massive massive pitch range yes that was me I did not 
tap anyone on my shoulder. I can literally make my voice sound really high and really deep. So that's one of the things that you just need to be mindful of how you speak. You know, people say, speak softly and carry a big stick, but you're not really walking around the office in a stick. So you want to make sure you're not speaking so softly that people have no idea and they can't hear you. You're not speaking so high that you sound like a cartoon character. You're not using a whole bunch of touchy, feely language. And this is going to be a bit of a killer in the world we live in today. Using non-words. I blame TV. That's I 100% blame TV and the fact that I'm just not reading enough. The likes, the ums, the ahs, the buts, they creep in like thieves in the night and they're just in your common language. But if you become one of those people that every other word is something like that, you see how I said like that? It's That will also cripple you because your vocabulary is built with non-words or qualifiers or you talk too fast. So these are just some of the things that you want to keep in mind. And of course, uh, when we think about how we sound, stop asking for permission. You know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission and don't apologize. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about how you sound you know, do you have that right level of authority in your base? Take your time. There is not a rush for you to finish your sentence. Don't use the touchy-feely language. It is a workplace. Speak strongly, soundly. Don't let your voice just trail. Have that powerful pause. Think about what you're saying. Don't be so quick to respond that you you bumble over yourself. And then we'll get into the fun stuff of how you look. So she covered how you act, how you think, how you sound. This is a doozy. How you look. And it's not even just beauty products. These are the little things that we sometimes do as women that we don't even realize that we do, but we'll just get the basic stuff out of the way in the looks department. Wearing inappropriate makeup. Now, if you're dressing for work, like you dress for the club, stop. If you're going out to the club after work, minimize that makeup just a tad for work because you don't want to be the person who wears inappropriate makeup at work. The next section she talks about, and you know, this could be a little controversial, wearing the wrong hairstyle. And, and you know, that can go either way. Um, it's your hair, <laughs> whether you were born with it, bought it, Um, you want to just kind of be mindful of the organization that you're in. I think the really, the only thing that she primarily focused on was wearing your hair too long. So there are 
people who may wear their hair traditionally to their um, lower backs or butts. I'm really kind of at a mix with that because hair is so important to so many women that there is no there is no way you can address that and be in the right side of the conversation. So I'll tend to skip over that. The other thing that she talks about is grooming in public. For the life of me, I don't understand why people will sit at their desk and brush their hair or put on lipstick or file their nails. I I worked with a woman where she would sit at her desk and file her nails at her desk and it baffled me. But again, she probably hadn't read the book. Maybe she didn't know. Uh, The other thing that she has in the look department, but it does affect looks or just general body movements that you do. So failing to maintain eye contact. Why are you looking down? Don't be fearful. Look someone in the eye when you're talking to them. You would want them to look you in the eye. There is no one so above you that you can't look this person in the eye. The other thing, tilting your head during the conversation to soften the message. And even as I'm saying this, I'm tilting my head from side to side. And you're right. As soon as you start to do this, my voice does soften. No, be straight, direct, and to the point. Not harsh with it, but straight, direct, and to the point. The other thing that she says is smiling inappropriately. We do this when we're nervous. It's it's okay. Work through it. And being over or under animated. That I think I could see being difficult for some people where you're passionate. There's nothing wrong with being passionate. However, you don't need to be over passionate with what you're saying, but also you don't need to be under passionate. There's, there's a normal cadence to something like that. One of the last sections of the book focuses on how to respond. So, She's covered a variety of topics. The ones most notable to me, how you think, how you act, how you look, how you brand yourself, which we really aren't going to go into in this podcast. But I want to really take a second to go over how you respond because these resonate most with me. One of the things that she speaks about is internalizing messages. I will sometimes hear a message and I will plant it inside, like a seed, plant it inside and give it the opportunity to grow. And I will nurture that sucker when I should just say thank you and move on. And we sometimes as women, we take feedback and we take a message. And though it may be important for us to know at the time, We build monuments internally of what that message is, excuse me, almost to the point where it hinders what it was that we were trying to do. Another thing that I believe is crucial is believing others know more than you. It's true. There are going to be some uh, some situations where people will know more than you. No one is the smartest person in the room. 
But just because they know more than you on that one topic, it doesn't mean that you don't know more than them on a completely different other one. So don't allow that belief to make you feel incompetent, less than. This next one that she spoke of is a doozy. And this is, this is one that I still struggle with today. And she talks about, or the book talks about, taking notes, getting coffee, and making copies. Don't do it. I know. And let me just say it again. Don't do it. Anytime we accept these tasks, we perpetuate the stereotype that it's our job to nurture, care, and serve others at work. This is a, this is a hard one for me. I love to take notes. And I don't love to take notes because I'm the super weird geek. I take notes because I'm forgetful. I have this gorgeous notebook from Staples. I love the ARC system. So again, let me get on my high horse, talk a little bit about ARC. Wait, I, planners, um, calendars, it has to-do lists. I've got a whole puncher. I have page dividers where I can literally keep all of my papers together. So I take notes. Because I'm forgetful as I can't think of an animal that's forgetful because I'd use that as an analogy. I forget. I take notes because I'm trying to learn and I take notes to remember what people said and I take notes to remember what it is that I'm supposed to do. And I have found that when I take notes, if someone tries to give me a task that was never really mine, I can flip to my note and say, no, 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 it's not my task. But the issue when taking notes, and this is something that she speaks on, you put yourself in the role where it's your job to serve others, where people say, hey, can I get those notes? It takes you back to college where you're in class and you're taking notes and people aren't there and people are looking for your notes. So that's That's a hard one for me because to not take notes, I'm not going to remember what's going on, but to take notes, people look at you as that source of, oh, you have it and I can go to you and get that information. And part of that leads into denying your power. When you put yourself in that note taker, coffee getter, copy maker, You're putting yourself in that subservient role and you're making yourself less than your peers. And when you start to do that, you fall into one of the other traits that she mentions of exhibiting too much patience, waiting on that. All all good things come to those who wait. So I'll wait, 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 which will occasionally lead into accepting a dead end assignment. And you think, okay, I'll take this and I'll wait, 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 or you'll put yourself in a position where you put the needs of others before your own, and then you wait, 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 giving up your power, being a wallflower, waiting to get picked, or 
allowing yourself to be a scapegoat. Don't be so afraid of risk that you fall on the sword. Don't be so afraid of conflict that you allow other people's mistakes to inconvenience you. And don't be the last to speak up. If the work is being divvied out, raise your hand and say what it is that you want to do. Don't think because you're new or you're young or you're old or you're unsure that you put yourself in that proverbial corner. The other thing, or the other things, excuse me, that she talks on, and really I want to broach this in whole with the whole Me Too movement about, and this is a hard one, the things women historically have accepted in the workplace because we just always have. And part of that is the tolerating inappropriate behavior. I think a lot of times when it happens, you become shocked. You didn't see this coming. You don't know what to say. What do you do? How do you react? And you keep it to yourself or you tolerate sexual harassment. And you shouldn't have to. There are boundaries. There's common decency that people should not cross. And just because someone has overstepped your boundary of common decency and things you shouldn't shouldn't say to someone that you work with, don't acquiesce to them and allow it. You need to speak up for yourself. And if something like that is happening to you, it's always most likely happening to someone else. And I don't want to stereotype, but you're not special. If someone has made the decision to violate you by sexually harassing you, there is a, there is a pretty strong chance that they're doing that to others. And it's not something that you need to carry alone. And that is one of the things that she talks about in that how to respond because as women, sometimes we don't know what to do. And you're now starting to see the swell of people coming up for things they've held from the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And I'm just going to keep saying decades until I get, get tired where it happened to them. But because the person was powerful, you know, a famous actor, producer, TV executive, CEO, president, whomever, because that person was so powerful, they kept it to themselves. And that takes a toll on you. So she ends that book with how to respond. And I'm ending it with that section because those were really some of the things that that she spoke up. But 100% recommend this book. I first read it, I'm going to date myself, back in 2006. I know there's been a couple of iterations, so I'll definitely check that out. If you have Hoopla, which if you don't know about Hoopla, chances are you haven't been to your library lately. With your library card, you can get access to Hoopla, 
and you can read uh, ebooks. There's audiobooks, TV shows, movies. I love it because I was, you know, perusing Hoopla and it was there, the audiobook version. So it was just going through that. So instead of having to pay, I don't know, another $15, $17 because I've since moved and don't have that copy or this copy of the book on me, I can listen to the version on Hoopla for free. These are your taxpayers at work, support your libraries, people. So once again, uh, this is Andrea, member of the Corporate Genius team. Thanks for joining us and have an excellent, excellent day.